guys, it's Basic Snitches time. I'm Tara. I'm Adam. And today we're going to be talking about Chapter 7 of The Order of the Phoenix. The Ministry of Magic. Very nice. I like how you picked that up. That I was just Oh, kidding. yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm going to lay this down for him, but I didn't actually tell him. I'm going to pick up what you're laying down, honey. As you may be able to tell, listeners, we are recording over Zoom because last time we recorded with those two hoes, we only did the one episode then so that we didn't have to find a time for the two of us to get together twice. I get to look at her lovely face over my computer screen today. Should I turn off the camera? Will that be better for you? Hey, whatever you feel the most comfortable with. That's his nice way of saying, yeah, that would be good. I got you minimized anyway. Honestly, this is the Thursday before Labor Day weekend. I'm obviously not working next Monday. And then my entire week next week is just meetings, meetings, meetings. In fact, on Thursday, I don't have a single half hour on my schedule that isn't a meeting. So (laughs) I'm like, this is, you know, gearing me up for that. That's fun. I don't have meetings every day next week, but I do work on Monday. So oh. I work Friday night overnight and then I work Sunday for like four hours and then Monday a full day. There are some days when we do have these holidays on Mondays where I would almost just rather work the holiday because it gets so freaking busy during the rest of the week from everything that I have to catch up on. I don't know how often I talk about work on here, but I buy advertising for a company and it's annual buying time for 2022. That's right. It is September and we are already thinking about next year, which is absolutely insane. But I'm excited for it to be fall, even though it doesn't feel like it. So yeah, we're on Zoom today. If it sounds different, deal with it. It is time to acknowledge our Patreon subscribers. We now have six subscribers. We have Nisi, Mary Beth, Brittany, Olivia, Ashley, and now Brian. So Brian, welcome to the Patreon fam. As always, to be included in these shout outs, go to patreon.com slash basic snitches for only $3 a month. You will get exclusive content and be acknowledged in every episode. The winner of chapter six is Sirius. It was really nice to hear a little bit more about Sirius's family. And also, gotta give him some extra props for living with that family and being raised by that family. Absolutely. And surviving and not being the worst. He's the winner. The loser of chapter six is Mundungus. Just because if he's around, he has a good chance of losing. He sucks. Also, I really love the part of that chapter where Fred and George are like, oh, mom's yelling at someone who's not us. Yay. <laughs> right there, it was slowing down a little bit. But my favorite part is I knew exactly what you were saying. You were like, it sounded like mung. And I was like, she just said Mundungus Fletcher. <laughs> When you were saying that it's good that there's somebody else for Molly to yell at, I was like, hmm, fuck Mary Kilbert between Fred George and Mundungus? I feel like the answer to that is pretty obvious. Who are you fucking and who are you marrying? I'm gonna fuck Fred and Mary George. Lovely. Is he the one who always gets the lines? No, Fred's the one that gets all the funny lines. But also, I feel like they'd both be a good lay and then I'll just, you know, can have sex with George every night. Why don't we just have a thruple? Why not? This is the perfect opportunity. I mean, is that your answer? I guess so. That's like the only time ever that I would be that way because I'm such a serial monogamist. But is this the second episode in a row that we're shouting at Sarah Price? Shout out to Sarah Price. Why not? Tara wrote a thing. I did. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Chapter 7, The Ministry of Magic. 
Harry wakes up to a bright, beautiful, sunny day filled with bountiful opportunities. While Ron sleeps in, Harry goes downstairs to have a nice breakfast before heading out on a wonderful adventure with Mr. Weasley. Just kidding! Harry wakes up dreading the day. His breakfast is pretty terrible because he is so nervous. All the adults pla- placate? Is that how you pronounce that? Placate? Placate! Sorry, I am brain dead. It feels like Friday. All the adults placate him with false cheerfulness. The only thing he has to wear to a formal disciplinary hearing is apparently a t-shirt and jeans. And as usual, his hair does not cooperate. He and Mr. Weasley leave together to go to the Ministry of Magic. At the Ministry, we see all kinds of different magical offices. I almost said magical orifices. Well? An unnecessary oppressive statue and lots of paper airplanes. Kingsley runs into Arthur and Harry, and we learn that he's pretending to lead the team of Aurors searching for Sirius. Harry and Arthur barely get to Arthur's office when Perkins comes in and tells them that Harry's hearing has been moved up to 8 a.m. And also, it's going to be an entirely different part of the building. So, because other people are assholes and like to change shit up last minute, Harry and Mr. Weasley have to rush to get there as soon as possible. When they get to the old courtrooms that apparently have not been used in years, Mr. Weasley tells Harry he has to go in alone. Legal question. Can a 15-year-old attend a hearing without a guardian? Apparently they can in the wizarding world. Wizard lawyers, call us in. We've been hoping for you guys forever, along with all the guidance counselors and the therapists and financial people, etc. You make some really good points about this too. (laughs) One thing that I did think about that wasn't even in my notes is the only clothes that he has to wear are this grimy t-shirt. Yeah, it's just weird to me. Mrs. Weasley is so worried about him and everything. And obviously, yes, she's got all kinds of things going on. But this hearing, I feel like, is so much in the forefront that it just doesn't make sense that we're not like, hey, maybe someone should go to Diagon Alley and get Harry something nice to wear. Mm-hmm. He does have a fucking fortune, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Or is there something that, like, Ron has that he could try on. He's not a stranger to clothes that don't fit him, you know? Right. I mean, I'm sure that there isn't something of Ron's that he could wear because we like to point out all the time that the Weasleys are poor. That's but, true too. You know, wizards, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Can we get like a Tonks version of a suit or something that they can like automatically resize? Like, why don't they have this? You know, maybe that magic doesn't exist. Who knows? It must not. So at the beginning, we see already another reoccurring theme here in this book. And that is Harry overthinking, which technically is something that is a serious theme. I bring it up because as I was listening to our first episode of this season, which dropped yesterday, we talk about when he is walking around outside overthinking. And here he is again. He wakes up and he can't get the dread of the hearing out of his head. Could you blame him? No, not at all. I've done that before. It's another reminder that Harry is all of us. We obviously always point out the overthinking, but something that goes along with overthinking is how universal it is. Oftentimes when you're doing it, you think that it's only a you thing. Like it feels so like internal, but in reality, everybody goes through these Mm -hmm. same problems. And he's obviously building this up to be so much bigger than it ends up eventually being, of course. And that's kind of what they talk through once he does get down to breakfast. Like just a couple hours and it'll be over and this little hiccup will be finished, you know? 
one other thing that happens here at the beginning before breakfast and they go off. We haven't really mentioned this character yet. We need to talk about that sassy blank frame that's in his bedroom. (laughs) I like that guy or girl or creature. Yeah, he nosy. But I mean, if you were invisible, wouldn't you also be nosy? Yeah, probably. (laughs) I mean, I feel like there's no way you wouldn't be curious about it. Right. It's literally the opportunity to be a fly on the wall, which is something that we've all said so many times. Right? We're only human. And then when he goes down to breakfast, the way that you described it in your thing, I think is so perfect. Not only, you know, that this is the only shit that he can wear, but how he's so nervous that he just asks for toast when like eggs and bacon are something that were offered up by Mrs. Weasley. And you know, Mrs. Weasley's eggs and bacon is the bomb. Probably. We all know she can cook. This is the most mom moment I think that I've ever seen of Mrs. Weasley either. We've talked about some prime moments, especially with Ashley last season. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I love that she's like in her house dress waiting there that early without question to make him breakfast. She's fussing with him, even though he wishes that she wouldn't, etc. It just really makes Molly even more lovable when you see those details. Well, she's wonderful. She has all these children and then she continues to give her heart just as much to another child. With Molly, I almost wonder if the motherliness is so innate at this point that she's brought up seven children that she almost can't help herself. But I like that, you know, that's not like trying to make an excuse for her or anything. It just shows that her character is so giving. I mean, I'm sure that it is like second nature to her. And, you know, it it might be because of the number of children. I feel like it's just more who she is. Obviously, we never got to know Lily, but I feel like she probably would be the exact same way. Mm -hmm. She'd be like, oh, this other child who my child is friends with. And yay, I'm going to help them and love them. It feels like just what awesome moms would do. You know, when you say that, it does make me wonder like what her style would be because Molly has something that is so like special to her and Narcissa of course is another one that we see a lot of later on Mrs. Black obviously comes to mind as well but I wonder if Lily would have her own like special thing wouldn't they I mean every mom is different I don't know I've never been a mom I don't necessarily think it even has to do with that I think it has to do with more of her personality you know like what kind of mom yeah like if you were a mom you would have like a specific personality of your momness that is different than everybody else's and oh yeah same like if i had a dad or if i had a dad (laughs) that was a good setup for a joke that does not exist unfortunately if i were a dad people always tell me that i would be a good dad and i'm like are you shitting me i don't have a parenting bone in my body same though i could not but people are like oh you would be and i'm like nope I am perfectly fine being an uncle older brother type. But yeah, it's just something kind of fun to think about of like, what would it actually be like? It would be so cool to see Ron and Harry like having a play date and Molly and Lily get together and they drink tea. And of course the tea is spiked because they bomb. And the tea is spiked. (laughs) There's some like elderflower liqueur, whatever the fuck in there. Fire whiskey, so on and so forth. One other little thing here still at Grimmauld Place. They do mention Scrimmager. Yes, I think that this is the first mention of him in the series, but I could be wrong. I think it is too. Obviously, he ends up becoming the Minister of Magic post-Fudge. I'm wondering if this is like a precursor to that. 
obviously like it's a spoiler to bring it up but like we've been talking in the last few episodes especially when there's so much build up to things that happen later in the chapter i wanted to see if you had any sort of thought on what that could be there's some conversations involving him and things that he's doing um let me just reread that part literally just keep seeing all the stuff from amelia bones although let's pull one out for amelia bones too i love that bitch me here too. Is. Here it is. Been glance at Harry and then Tonks. What were you saying about Scrimgore? However you say his name. Yeah, well, we need to be a bit more careful. He's been asking Kingsley and me funny questions. I wonder if it's about Sirius. Because Kingsley is the person in charge of finding Sirius. But I honestly don't know. But here's the thing is that other than hiding Sirius and not being completely open about the Order of the Phoenix, I'm sure that Tonk is not breaking rules in the ministry. And obviously we all know Kingsley isn't. That's probably what it is. That's my guess. I am not necessarily correct. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good thing to bring up. And I'm going to mention this now too, since we're talking about it. Because once we get to the ministry and we see kind of like Kingsley's cubicle and everything and all the pictures of Sirius, and then the low-key sort of conversation that they're having about that, and then under their breath, things like, hey, if you can get out of this in time, I love it. making meatballs. It's such a relatable thing. Talking about, you know, we're like right coming off of work right now, the two of us. And so it feels even more relatable, those little like micro moments and stuff. So maybe that's what it was. That name definitely jumped off the page to me, just like Amelia Bones did, because she's Susie's aunt. So then Arthur is like, let's go. He's dressed real fly in his bomber jacket. Love it. Of course. I mean, this is always an Arthur thing. He is fascinated with all the muggle stuff in the same way that you or I have a fascination with all the magical elements. But at the same time, the thing that pops out in my mind is the ticket machines and everything on the subway. I love that because... There's this feeling of Harry almost like shadowing Arthur, even though, of course, that's not really what's happening here. Right. And it makes me think of when I shadowed my dad at work and how it was always so cool to go and shadow him. There's something fascinating about like adult stuff. When you're a kid, yes. Yeah, when you're a kid. And then now that you're an adult, you know, you don't even like think about that kind of stuff. But even like when we have gone to New York, when back in 2019, when we were able to travel and stuff, going on like the subway in New York City, because we don't really have public transport here in Cleveland, that kind of stuff was still fascinating. Arthur's fascination comes from a different place, of course, but it's still fresh and kind of fun and exciting, even though they're going to this for a disciplinary here. So, and of course, eventually they make their way to the hood and to this telephone booth. They really do go into the hood. And I kind of thought Grimmauld Place was the hood, but... There are different hoods. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we traded one for the other. Cool. (laughs) Something else that kind of jumped off the page to me is, do you know what like liminal spaces are? No. Again, (laughs) we have themes. One of them is TikTok, since we talked about TikTok a lot in the last episode too. There are several accounts that I follow on TikTok that are like liminal spaces and I find them strangely soothing. So that is like a place that was, that is empty and it's almost like dreamlike. Okay. That used to be inhabited by humans. So a lot of what I see in these posts tend to be like 
empty office spaces or empty businesses that are in a very specific style from like the 80s or the 90s, like old movie theaters that definitely okay. had that feel to them or like party centers or amusement parks, like Discovery mm-hmm. Zone comes to mind, you know? God, Discovery Zone. I know. I have had dreams about Discovery Zone as an adult too. So. I never went to Discovery Zone as a kid and I remember wanting to go. And now as an adult, I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be around that many germs anymore. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really miss out on much. The greasy feeling of like a play place at a McDonald's. Like when you're a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, how fun. They have a play place. And I'm like, you could not pay me to go in there. Get stuck in a ball pit. I would love to be able to go to a ball pit that I know is clean as an yeah. adult. That sounds fun as hell. You know, I think of like trampoline parks, mm-hmm. not not parks, but you know what I mean? Like you go to a thing and it's just a bunch of trampolines or, oh my God, what's that called? Parkour places. And sometimes they have like the foam block pits. And I have to think that a place like that, that is kind of like an athletic center feel almost is a little bit more sanitary, hopefully. Probably. But it's those sorts of things that like you look at them and they seem familiar and they seem almost dreamlike, but clearly like outdated. I sort of got this feel when they were taking this journey through the subway stations and these oh, places okay. where yeah. like... I don't know why it just really hit me in that way. And so I loved this little trip that they were taking. It also just made me really want to, I mean, it doesn't take much for me to want to travel, but like it also gave me that feeling. So I loved this. And just in general, like Arthur has that fascination with the muggle stuff. I love this chapter because it gave me all of that. This is the sort of chapter that obviously I really love. Like when they go to Diagon Alley or a new place, even though the circumstances aren't as good as they could be. It's a fair bit of world building, really. Mm -hmm. It helps keep us grounded in the story as far as its relation to us, you know? Absolutely. So when they get to that phone booth, they type in magic. Obviously, that's something I saw on the internet. I did not check, but the dials on that rotary phone. I feel like a lot of people notice right away. I was not one of those people. Honestly, I don't think I was either. I was just like, okay, cool. There's probably some significance to this. Oh, I don't even think that I thought that. I was like, okay, that's the password. (laughs) And you know my background with books and stuff. I'm always kind of (laughs) looking for those clues. But for this one, I was like, it is what it is, I suppose. But I like the security measure because here they are in this shitty fucking phone booth in the middle of the hood. They put in this code, this lovely voice comes over the speaker welcoming them and it feels almost like they're talking to like a Siri or that other bitch that I don't want to wake up by saying her name it reacts and it spits out the little badge and I'm like okay solid security measures I like it yeah honestly in some regards anyway some work was done right (laughs) that's why I gotta think about like the infrastructure of some of this and like how everything looks and feels like There was work that was put into this, obviously, but current administration, it's the dark underbelly, if you will, of the Ministry of Magic. Because actually, what I was thinking in my head, like I knew that the phone booth was a thing, but for some reason, I thought that they were going to toilets so they could flush themselves down. No, that's the regular entrance. Yes, this is just the guest entrance. And apparently Arthur can't do a take your kid to work day thing with Harry. Yeah, so that's the other thing. He was like, well, he did say that they should arrive in the not not magically. Because I was going to say side-by-side apparition as well. But yeah, that's right. They do clear that up. 
It's so stupid, though. Just let him fucking take him to work. While we're on the topic of security, this is, of course, later, too. But I got to shout out a little tiny minor character named Eric. I looked it up. His name is Eric Munch. He's the security guard at the Ministry of Magic. So when he has to, like, give the wand over. Oh, the guy who's clearly over his job and we can't blame him. Yeah, I feel it for that guy. That guy was fascinating to me. Rarely do we get the moments to see just like a regular magic person just going about their day. Doing his job. That's it. The end. I love it. I love that actually gave that guy a name. I guess I didn't really put any notes in here about him, but the whole thing of like, check your weapon, if you will, give hand over the wand. It spits out all the information. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that little detail too, because it gave me that same feel of take your kid to work. No, I love that. Like, I did not think that way, but I was like, yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah, I was trying to pay attention to a lot of those little everyday details here because it is one of those rare moments, like I said. And there's the guy who has the dragon or whatever in a box too. But <laughs> for some the, reason- it brings fire? I'm like, yeah, I kind of want that chicken. Which, I mean, technically chickens are derived from dinosaurs. So it's kind of a dragon in a box. <laughs> But that didn't pop out as much to me as like the normalcy. So of course we have to talk about what the Ministry of Magic looks like too. I don't know that I ever thought too hard about what it looked like, but the movie is great. Yeah. I know we get more time later on down the road, although we'll talk a little bit about the movie for real, like at the Mm. end of this. It sounds appropriately grand. Like I feel like a big government facility would be everything is big and, and there's so much going on, but also you kind of expect a certain type of behavior. That's kind of how it feels. Yeah, I 100% agree. The way that the movie captures the look and feel, I think is ideal. Coming off of the fourth movie where we shoot it on it in every single chapter, no critiques whatsoever. One little thing, and again, this is a little bit later when he's talking about like his coworkers and them like magical maintenance people. They change the weather outside the windows and they had like, this is, <laughs> this is a topical thing to notice. <laughs> That they had hurricanes for like a week or so when they were trying to get raises. And then even when they get to his office, he's like, I've asked for a window multiple times, but they don't seem to think that we need one. I loved all of that. It just fits. It takes the most mundane things and puts them into this world. And then I think it also translates so well to the movie without giving us those actual details in like dialogue. How else would you do it? You know? Now, the big obvious thing to mention about the office is the fountain. Mm. Yeah. Fountain. (laughs) Do you know where I'm going with this? No, I don't know where you're going with it. You already heard where I went with it. I think we actually might be going in the same direction. The speciesism that we're seeing here. All the other magical creatures looking up so lovingly at the wizard. And it makes me think of, in one of the previous chapters at Grimmauld Place, I can't remember who it was, like a Lupin, a Sirius, or maybe even like a Kingsley or a Moody, saying something along the lines of the goblins being promised some sort of rights by Cocaine Baby. Yeah. And acknowledging that speciesism, which again is such an interesting theme for nowadays with people really acknowledging the systematic racism that is embodying everything, you know? And here is a good example of a relic of wizarding history where that is ingrained. 
I think you used the right word when you said relic. We're coming from where Harry is coming from. When he's looking at that statue, he's noticing because of the way it's described through his vision. We are to understand that Harry recognizes that there's something off about this statue, but he's in such a state that it's not something that he can stop and think about. And then he notices the plaque that says that all donations go to St. Mungo. <laughs> and like, that is where his brain is like, if this works out in my favor, I'm going to be so grateful. That statue is what brought his attention to it in the first place. It's not presented in a way that we are to think about that. We are just being intelligent humans. Hmm, that's weird that everyone's just looking up at them like they're so fucking great. I'm glad that you mentioned the thing that Harry notices being that plaque. Because what he, of course, says is that he'll donate 10 galleons if he is innocent. I don't know if we've had this this season yet. Cue the music. This, to me, felt like he was manifesting his innocence. He is putting forth this hope. He's really focusing on his innocence and hoping that that is what's going to to come forth. Knowing Harry, too, every time he comes into a new place, whether it's Hogwarts or Diagon Alley or Grimmauld Place, he usually is kind of, like, amazed by the surroundings. And I think there's probably a little bit of that happening. Based on the overthinking that is set up at the beginning of the chapter, he is just so laser point focused on the hearing that is about to happen. Or should be happening in a few hours, but is about to happen. It's literally about to happen because everything is fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get there soon. But once we get to like the elevators and Arthur's office, we already talked about the little Kingsley moment there too. Oh, I love it so much. Me too. All of this like office banter is just so, so interesting to me. A lot of the names of the offices that the elevator is saying too, it's interesting how specific it gets. My favorite magical office, Ludicrous Patton's office. Okay, so for some reason, once again, like I'm not focusing on like the obvious magical stuff. Some of the more boring ones were the ones that I've kind of got a kick out of, but I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm like, really Ludicrous Patton's, huh? All right, all right. But yeah, also the official Gobstones Club. See, some of those things almost like went over my head at first and then I went back and I noticed them. I mean, it feels like everything that you would probably see and not even just a government office, but any sort of department in a company Mm -hmm. but it has that lovely magical twist and some of those like recognizable things that we've heard of i don't remember the exact title but the handling of magical creatures office that of course we know from book three and things like that yeah but then also like the yeah the gobstone (laughs) thing so on and so forth the one other little detail that happens before the whole your hearing has been changed thing is they mentioned the quibbler they do love that a little bit of foreshadowing for luna more so her father but yes luna too yeah it's just nice to have something that's important mentioned before it's about to become important and the whole juxtaposition between the quibbler and the daily prophet it gives so much more dimension in terms of time and everything that's going on but then of course perkins comes in and first of all perkins is a miss Perkins is a mess, but also Perkins is a fucking hero, so... 100. Perkins is about to get some points, you know that. He does come in and luckily says that the hearing has been moved and it's down in, like, the deepest, dankest dungeons. 
which is the name of my new smoke shop, by the way. Arthur's like, the fuck? What? No one's been down there in years. No one's been down there in years is what I like to say about my nether regions, which is actually true in this case. So they have to rush back down, go through the elevators all again. As they're getting deeper and deeper, it really does get darker too, which I feel like gives this sense of foreboding. And then I love how you ended your things. I didn't even think about that. He's a minor, but he has to go in by himself. No one made sure his aunt or uncle went with him. Sirius would be his next legal guardian, and he is currently on the run. Would they accept Mr. Weasley as a guardian there? It's a good point. Just fucking show up, kid. I don't care. Bring yeah. your dog. Bring no one. We don't care. Just show up. If my memory serves me right, and of course this is the movie coloring my memory a little bit, but Dumbledore shows up and luckily that is what helps here too. Dumbledore potentially being a sit-in for a legal guardian, I suppose you could say. I love this chapter. So you ready for a game? Yeah, let's do it. Well, since we are on Zoom, it's perfect to bring up the original from this season, the headphones game. Oh, okay. But you don't got to put in headphones. You can just mute me. Why don't you mute yourself, you mean? Oh, I guess I got to mute myself. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a Thursday. It feels like it was Friday three days ago. Let me just say that. Arthur Dent. He could never get the hang of Thursdays. That's right. Just like Arthur, I can't get accustomed to this muggle technology. Yeah. All right. Arthur Weasley. Arthur (laughs) Dent is from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And there is a direct quote from the book. It must be Thursday. I could never get the hang of Thursdays. Oh, my gosh. Bitch, it is always Thursday. All right. So you ready? Probably not, but let's try it. All right. Well, you did great last time. Yeah, and I don't understand because I cannot read lips. I think you must have blossomed into that talent. Before I mute myself, I'm leveling it up because you did so good last time. So this one's fine. You'll realize then it's a fluke. We'll see. You do this all the time. I'm terrible at things and you win. So, (laughs) all right. I'm going to mute myself. Ready? Can I like ask a question about it first? Yeah, sure. Is it dialogue? Is it description? Like, Good point. It is a description. I'm describing something that Harry does with another character in the chapter. Okay. Hopefully that's helpful to give you a little bit more context. Okay. All right. And it's like three sentences. Hi, everyone. It's editing Adam here. Wow, you get to hear from me two episodes in a row? Lucky you. So this was a huge fail because when I mute myself, obviously it mutes it on Zoom too, so you can't hear anything I'm saying. Yeah, we really fucked this one up. Anyways, the text that I chose for this game is the following. Harry produced his wand. The wizard dropped it onto a strange brass instrument, which looks something like a set of scales with only one dish. It began to vibrate. So, since you can't really hear anything that I say, uh, here's just kind of a mega mix of Tara trying to guess everything with me sometimes coming in and unmuting. Probably not the most fun thing to listen to. So, if you don't want to listen to this, go ahead and just, like, fast forward a couple seconds and... We'll get on with our episode. So sorry about this, but you win some, you lose some, which is a good lesson here because you'll see how Tara does. We'll do better next time. I don't know what you're saying. Harry said, I don't know. Nope, got nothing. What are you doing here today? (laughs) Nope, got nothing. Please 
All right, so that was the whole thing. So it's a little bit longer this time. That's some bullshit. So I'm going to go on mute again, and we're going to try again. Ready? Sure. And I'm going to try to face, because I think every time I do this, it's I want to make sure that you get a good shot on my mouth, which is not the first time I've said that to Tara. Okay, muting again. Do that again, please. I don't know. Nope, I, I don't know. Something about being dead. I no, I I literally can't tell. Let's try it one more time, and then if you don't get it, then you failed this time. I'm happy to fail. Which honestly, at that point, you, that's one loss and one win, so that's still pretty good. All right, you ready for your third try? All right, here we go, one more time. Harry and Mr. Weasley head to the train station. I don't know what the actual line is. Something about the turnstiles. King's Cross? Nope. Don't know. Something about Mr. Weasley again? Nope. Yeah, you did pretty horrible this time. Yeah, I hate this game. That's okay. It, you, you know what? It might be easier in person, too. Mm, Who knows? I still hate this game, but that's okay. One time you should do it with me. Okay. And see how I do. All right? All right, so the answer is, Harry produced his wand. The wizard dropped it onto a strange brass instrument which looked something like a set of scales with only one dish. It began to vibrate. First, I thought, okay, maybe she got like a little bit on the right track. And then you started talking about the turnstiles. I was like, oh, fuck. I shouldn't have made it so hard, which is also not the first time I've said that to Tara. So yeah, the movie, there's not much of it there. We don't get Harry seeing everyone before he goes and... We don't get the journey through much of anything. I mean, they do. They do a little bit of the journey through the train station and stuff. And we get to watch Mr. Weasley be a fucking mess for a second. We don't get the full thing, which is kind of sad. And then they go to the phone box. I agree. Like, truly, I think it's more about the visuals, like we had already talked about. And as I already said, I absolutely adore it. We get to see the fountain and we get to see the crazy ass fudge banner. Um, Bullshit, exactly. When we get to see magic is might for the Mm. first time. But then he just like goes to the hearing. Get to see the paper airplanes and stuff like that. But it's fine. Like I'm not really missing much. Me neither. I think that, you know, all the details that I do really, really love about this chapter, it's best explained in this visual way too. I don't think that we necessarily need to hear about all the things that we do. We don't necessarily need the Kingsley interactions and everything. A lot of the things that I do love are these really, really micro moments. It's almost doesn't make sense to put it in the movie when you are trying to get like a broader scope of things for a broader audience. So personally, I love it. I still stand by this chapter 100%. So no complaints here, really. Yeah, it's a fun chapter. So plus five, obviously, to Arthur. Because Arthur, you know, does a lot of stuff with Harry here. Molly is already at, like, the forefront of this season. I will tell you, like, points. I think she is definitely winning. He does this thing for Harry. And yeah, that's what's important. Plus 10 to Molly, though, too, <laughs> because, I mean, every moment Molly is on these pages, it's just, it gives more and more depth to her character. Plus five to several people. Plus five to Perkins for saving the day. I suppose I could have probably given him a little bit more, but he is kind of a minor character, so I just kept it to five. Plus five to Eric, the security guard, <laughs> I already talked about. Plus five to Amelia Bones and we love her from Puss mostly 
and plus five to the empty frame in Grimmauld Place. Because I was like, I like that sassy bitch. And the only person who's getting points taken away from is negative 10 to the person who moved that fucking hearing. Right. Because that was well, fucking rude. I know who that was, but... We sure do. Right now, I'm just leaving it at that. It's even in my, like, notes is that... like mentioning that thing once, that'd be good. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are close. We are on the precipice of pink. So on that note, join us next week. Yeah, join us next week. We will be reading chapter eight. We'll, we won't be reading shit. I do that every fucking time. We won't be reading shit. We'll be discussing chapter eight. The hearing. Oh, we made it. Yes. So, I mean, apparently we're a little late because a certain motherfucker moved the hearing. You know, I hate it when people put meetings on my calendar last minute anyways, but then when they also move them last minute, oh my God. So I'm already irritated at this mystery person. Mm-hmm. Mystery person. Hmm. But usually we only name the author as the mystery person. This other person is a mystery person. I wonder if they'll have more in common. Didn't I ask us to not have like one episode where we didn't mention this thing? This thing. <laughs> this thing but you know what actually we already have mentioned this person in a previous episode when we referred to but them as I, the troll this could have been the chapter without it and you, you it's done it, i mean it could be we still haven't said that name we've just you know made mm, illusions it's already ruined for me i apologize that mm-hmm. i had to ruin this particular person's entrance i don't want to think about this particular person entering anything on that note we will talk to you next yeah week. i think we're done we can't i don't want to dig myself into a bigger hole Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com and a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out. 